I had uh, a lunch with them the other week and I told this person I was off social media and, and their response was well done and that blew me away. And the reason it blew me away was because I was expecting to be chastised, first of all, and go, you have to be on it, Every, all, all of the industry is on it. And their response was, I wish I could do the same. On today's episode of Human Cogs, we talked to Chris Riddell, who's a self-described futurist, humanist, optimist, forever flying, always searching and never sleeping. Chris is a pretty fascinating guy. He spends his life travelling around the world, connecting with businesses and individuals across multiple industries and really going to the spaces where we try and understand the role of technology in our lives in a hyper-connected digital world. He analyses trends and patterns and behaviours and then brings those insights together to predict where we've been and where we're going. Yeah, I love talking to Chris and I think some of the themes we touched on that are of interest to all of us are authenticity, creativity, storytelling, but above all, I reckon not one of us has been untouched by technology. And even for a self-confessed tech doofus like myself, I think um, what we discussed around technology and even the ethics of technology and social media is important conversation for every one of us. Yeah, totally. Um, and also thinking about your own life and, and how much you use social media and what role is that playing in the narrative that you construct and the one that's real and that you're living. And it's so easy for us to think that that's only relevant to teenagers, but here we are, a couple of women in a... Couple of doofuses. Very late 40s, uh, sitting with a man in his late 30s, and it's as loud (laughs) for every one of us. Thank you so much. Anyway, uh, lean in, listen. There's some, some really interesting, complex topics in here. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So we are very delighted this morning to be here with Chris Riddell, an award-winning global futurist and industry-recognised inspirational keynote speaker who knows a lot about emerging trends in our hyper-connected world and I think uh, we're at a moment in time in the world when we know it's time to talk about where this planet is at. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, and where this planet is at is a crisis in so many ways. We're talking racism, we're talking global Mm. pandemic, we're talking, oh, climate change and cyber attacks and it feels like in so many ways that the world's spinning out of control. What does it feel like for you, Chris? I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. You know, I'm, I'm forever an optimist um, and I'm always very positive <clears throat> about where things are going. But yeah, I'm, in the last few weeks, I think it, it certainly feels like we're, we're hitting this, this junction point. The only faith I have is that as humanity, we always do fix things. We always do find a way of making things better. And that's why that's what I, I hold on to. Where do you get that belief system from? If you look at the past, but things things have gone wrong. Our world has never been perfect. It will never be perfect. But as as humans, we are intrinsic innovators. We um, that's one of the unique things that makes us human and, and separates us uh, from other species is that we're continuously on this uh, quest to. Make, do better, do bigger, um, and granted, bigger isn't always better. But I mean, if you even look at your own individual lives, if you're completely isolated from everything else in a little microcosm that you live in, that's a, a, an approach that we all take. And um, through all of the chaos that's happened in history, we we do try and do things better. And I have to have that faith. And fundamentally, we we, we will. Um, 
but the question is how, uh, and the the other question then is how long. And maybe there's another question in there. Mm. When will we stop innovating? Because I agree that we've had this humanity through the ages has mm. problem solved for the Ice Age or whatever has come along to challenge them at the moment. Obviously, we've got pandemic, globalisation, we've got a black swan economy at the moment. So uh, we also know we've got impending singularity, the point at which technology will overtake humans in terms mm-hmm. of its brain well capacity. Um, and I think my question is then we are good at innovating but have we innovated ourselves into a place where we, we've actually gone too far, we've over-indexed with technology and with globalisation? I'd say the last 15 years things have accelerated, certainly, faster, but that's a, that's an acceleration we have seen coming. Um, when we look at things like singularity and the, uh, the, the phenomenal power that tech has, I think um, as far as where we as humans need to innovate and we will innovate and what we need to do is start addressing the challenges and the ethical parts then. Um, and one of those big things is we will have technology being able to do extraordinary things. The question we will then need to ask is, do we want technology to do those things? So whilst we will be able to do almost this this list of uh, unlimited incredible stuff that's in front of us, the ethical dilemma that we will have to deal with will be more, should we? And I yeah. think that's the point that we're uh, a bit of time away from. Um, but should it's, we just because we can, correct. you mean? Like Absolutely. we can build the tech and it's sexy and we get mm-hmm. carried away with shiny new things. Mm. But where is it actually serving us as a human species? Absolutely. And really, above and beyond that, at what cost? Mm. At what cost if we abdicate everything to the tech space? Mm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think, look, I think we're seeing some of that play out now. And I think it's, here's the thing, it's easy to get into and I, I mean, this respect, it's easy for us, any of us, to get into a, a clickbaity headline chat and use these very clever words that certainly the, the media are very fond of in throwing out there, uh, particularly around. And what I mean by that is you can go into a heap of my TV segments that I do over the years, and they all have, a lot of them, I should say, have a very common theme. And it's around fear of robots, fear of technology. Will such and such company be able to spy on us in the supermarket and know everything about us? Uh, Will another company have robots that are going to take over the world and take all of our jobs? They all have a common underlying theme, which is fear. And if we look back again, going back hundreds of years, Fundamentally, this is about human humans fearing change. We don't like change. We never have, and we never will. But what I think's happened and changed in the last six months this year, and this is something I've been talking about on stage, and it put the hairs up on my back of my neck as I just said this. I've been talking about this for the last few years. Is that I've been trying to convince people that technology is here to do pretty cool and incredible stuff. One of the, and it makes us closer to each other. And I've had a fight uphill for this for the last few years where people go, yeah, but, yeah, but. And one of the best examples I've I've rolled out frequently over the last couple of years is um, I've got a little girl. She's now 19 months old. And I, tra- up until now, I used to travel a phenomenal amount. So I'd be backwards and forwards to the US over 20 times a year. I'd be going around the world continuously. Some of those times I wasn't able to take the whole family with me. And one of the best apps I have is an app called Nanit on my phone. And it is a video app that sits over her crib and I can hear her, talk to her, see her. It gives me stats of how long she's been asleep. 
And that in itself isn't extraordinary. But what is extraordinary is when I'm sit at four, sitting at 40,000 feet in a plane and I've got Wi-Fi, I sit there and I have my dinner and I put my little iPad out and I watch her and I can sit and talk to her. And it doesn't cost me a cent. Now, rewind back. I was born in the early 80s. Rewind back to 10 years after I was born and I lived in Perth for a year when the Gulf War was going on in the Middle East. I remember having to ring parents, family, friends um, as I was at boarding school and it would cost me $2 a minute to make a phone call. It was expensive. The quality was horrific. There was an echo on the line. And that meant you were limited to the amount of time you could do it. That was a pretty crappy, shitty era, right? And if you wanted to send a letter, that was the best way of talk- communicating. It was a two-week from my place to the other end around the world. And doesn't work for an 18-month-old, the letter. No, but now... <laughs> well, she, is she quite advanced, though? She's pretty clever. Oh, no, she, yeah. She's a genius, I'll give you that. Um, but today, sitting in a plane at 40,000 feet, I don't even think about it, nor does anybody else that's browsing the internet. And I go, that is the incredible power that tech, it does bring us closer together. What about then, where's the place for waiting? Mm. Where's the place for coveting, mm. racing to that postbox to get that letter? Because... I agree with you. Mm. It's, it's a yes and, yeah. uh, not a no, but it's so frictionless. It's so seamless. Mm-hmm. It's 24-7 all the time. Mm. How do we then find the spaces where we, we can tune out, turn off or build back in that, that moment of waiting? Mm. For the phone call. It's a really good question, and I mean that genuinely. And uh, Sabina and I have chatted about this type of thing before, and I think what it comes down to is balance. You know, I'm. we could be sat here. I was with Brown Brothers last week filming with them and the incredible family story, and the, uh, wine is just such a huge part of their lives. It's in everything that they do, but it's still about balance. It's still about having control. It's still about going, I'm going to choose to do these different things. It's not about having all or nothing. You can do things in the old way, but here's the thing. It's not up to us to decide how you can or cannot have the experience. It's up to say, here's a smorgasbord of options. You choose based on what's right for you. You choose within the limitations of your own human addictive, um, you know, being because mm. we know that algorithms are designed to make us addicted. We know that big You're tech correct. does that. And so there's, there's difficulties at play there around our own self-control right. but also the design of those things. And this is the thing I struggle with the most. Mm. Um, what do you struggle with the most? Social media I find is one of these things I really struggle. Um, there's nothing wrong with the companies per se. Some of them are some very good clients of mine. Um, but I have had to pull myself physically away from my social media platforms. I'm, I'm on all but one now. I've had to let go of all but one. I so you mentioned that to us, mm. um, Chris, that because one of the things I wanted to bring up with what your Insta profile says, mm. and your Insta profile says futurist, humanist, optimist, Forever flying, you mm. could read that in code, not just literally in the air, um, and always searching, never sleeping. It's actually, wow. uh, it, it's a it's very... Time. Sounds a bit exhausted. I might need to... It, it, exhausting. Sounds, it, it yeah. sounds exhausting, but it's a very candid reflection mm. of who you are. Mm. And I think with every strength that each one of us has, there's a shadow side to that strength. Mm. And when I read those, you could read those as strengths, that you're curious and open and positive, mm. but the shadow side is addiction mm. and exhaustion and not being present with and your... unrest. Mm. With, with the people that you love or with yourself. Yeah. So you talk about, I guess this is a two-pronged question, 
One is, I'm interested in those words, the, the strengths and the shadow side to those descriptors. Mm -hmm. But the other is that you said you've taken yourself off all but one social platform mm. and yet you've told me off air that you have handed the reins over to mm. someone else. So you're acknowledging that from a business perspective perhaps yeah. you need to be or we need to be. Tell us about that because there's a contradiction and a conflict in that story. Life is all about contradictions and conflict. Let's be absolutely honest. I have an enormous amount of respect for you in the job that you do um because the that that would be in a, a real um you'd see that can play out in so many ways not not least in your own life i'm sure mm. um you're absolutely right i have i i have pulled back um on all but one of the social platforms and handed the reins of those over to others the reason was i just found myself spending a phenomenally unhealthy amount of time here we go. Um, comparing myself with others, first of all, um, in my industry or in a personal family uh, context and just continuously putting myself in a position where I felt like I was not achieving in so many different ways across all platforms. And I really, so that was the first thing. The second thing I found myself doing was just spending a stupid amount of time down rabbit holes on these platforms and then wondering what the hell I've been doing with them. And I, the, the, the bit that was the turning point for me was I would then look at my little daughter sat playing with a toy on the floor and go, what the hell am I doing? What on earth am I doing? And recognizing that this is all a load of trout uh, and on absolute load of rubbish um, in the predominant context with we are manufacturing a perspective and a view. And I'm not telling you anything here that's groundbreaking because we've been talking about this for years, but social media is a very manufactured view of people's lives. So when and you we hand, forget that. And yes. I find that, I find that hard to push through. I know, even though we know it logically Correct. and you've said it a thousand like, times, you're still If I was an alcoholic, which yeah. I'm not just for the purposes of this conversation, and I had a beer in front of me and I sat here drinking, you just go, that's stupid. And I don't know, I'm doing it. But what, why? It's, it's an addiction. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's moved over to being part of what people normally sort of do, though. Like it's mm. moved into the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think people are woke literally to what it is doing to them or what it is saying about them. Yeah. So we all, many of us who are even sentient people, there's almost a persona, there's an edited version of your life on social mm. media. And I think look at the pandemic of, of anxiety across the world, look at how we see body dysmorphia or people, mm. um, almost a cognitive dis dissonance, what, yeah. we, what we put out there and what we edit to be our lives, mm. well, our real lives don't marry that. And so there's a really huge issue, not just for, for youth, who I work with a lot, but um, but for adults as well. And, mm. and at which point do we say there's got to be a set of understandings or ethics or reality around the way that we do behave and, and view that? Like you've opted completely out of it. Except not. You haven't opted. And this is not a criticism because I'm dancing yeah. on the same stage as you, Chris, in so many ways. A psychologist is dancing. <laughs> I find that even more mind-blowing and fascinating. Uh, wow. <laughs> Why? Wow, I did because I would, ex and this is and this is perceptions we have of people, right? I would perceive you to be so strong and have such strength when it comes to these things that you could sit on there almost in this cleansed, neutral area on and just judge everybody. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and go. I am <laughs> um, absolutely fine with this. <laughs> well, but let's you're just saying I'm let's just remember how we met. I'll remind mm. you how we met. It was very late one night. It was. After 11 o'clock on I a Sunday night. 
I was in bed too. So we met in bed mm. in the dark. You don't dark, need to share this publicly, guys. But but I but I am going to share it because yep. it's actually true. I've never mm. said it like this before. But and Chris pops into my. What do you call it? He DMs, DMs me. Slides, he slides, slides into my DM. Into my DM. <laughs> That's the cool word, isn't it? He yeah. slides into my DM and mm. says, hey, I'm looking for a psych for, you know, the, um, for CR work, life. not for personal. Yeah, yeah, not for personal, not for yeah. personal. But I guess I just, I felt like in order to share my vulnerability mm. and to be authentic as well, well, what was I doing on social media at mm. 11 o'clock on a Sunday night? You know, I was in the, I was dancing on the same stage that you were. There yep. it is. That's what made me want to share it. It was a work-related DM and mm. it was about, a project that was aligned with both our interests yeah. and it's led to work and it's led to you being here today. Yeah. So good outcome, but I'm curious... At what that, cost? At what cost? Yeah. And also when we, and I'm doing the same, abdicate social media responsibility to someone else, mm. is that not just like saying I'm not pouring the beer? Oh, wow. I don't... Wow, and that is a genuine pause of awkwardness there. Um I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And I so let me give you. Let's rewind, and I'll come back to answer. I'm uh, come back to answer. I had this very conversation with a very senior events leader icon, um, certainly in this part of the world. Not even just in Australia, but this part of the world. I I had uh, a lunch with them the other week, and I told this person. I was off social media. And and their response was, well done. And that blew me away. Um, and the reason it blew me away was because I was expecting to be chastised, first of all, and go, you have to be on it, Every, all, all of the industry is on it. And their response was, I wish I could do the same. And that, that blew me away because I thought, apart from anything, if you don't believe it and you're on it, you're feeding the beast. And we then had a conversation where I was so shocked. I turned around and went, who else is playing this game? Like, how many of us, including the people in this room here, are we just continuously feeding this beast? And if you strip it all back, that really, for me, confirms A, why I left there, and B, I then start to get fascinated by this game that we're playing that feels very unauthentic. So then, coming back to your analogy of... Uh, is it just like getting somebody else to pour the bit? I think where it comes from is that we all feel we need to be on it from a business perspective. Mm. And largely, I think that that statement is generally true. The question then is, how do we do that authentically? And I think there's this this notion, if that you're not the one on it, it's not authentic. And I don't think that's true. Um, I still provide direction around what goes on there. So I'll send a photo. Like, like one of the posts today is I was at Brown Brothers last week, so I sent that photo through I saw that. and that got uh, posted on. But I think a lot of it, the rest of it is just a lot of noise. Mm. And that's the truth. So perhaps just handing the reins over gives you some space, it some does. distance. I don't so, – and here's what my problem was. I used to open – Instagram app or the Facebook app and spend hours trawling through stuff. I don't do that because the apps don't exist on my phone anymore. I've deleted them. I've completely handed that over. So from that perspective, am I still drinking the beer? Not in the slightest. Um, so it's not as though somebody is still putting that there and I'm drinking it. It's a, it's a, this is no longer a two-way relationship I have with the social media platforms. I've given that over to somebody else and I just say every now and then when I'm doing something I think that genuinely is of interest and I've got a photo, I'll send it and that gets put on. 
So you're in control then of that relationship. You've gained control by well, you determine what you'll push into that space, but you're not getting sucked down rabbit holes I of don't consumption. De- I don't determine 90% of it. The other, so a lot of it's brand driven around what the aesthetics of my brand and all that kind of clever stuff. But do, here's, the, here's the stupid thing. Do I think much, any of, not even much, do I think any of that contributes to generating income and work for me? Whew, no. So why, the question then is, why do I do it? Because everybody else is. Mm. Well, it also gives you presence, brand Correct. Presence. Otherwise, if I wasn't on there as a technology person or I wasn't on there for so many other reasons, a brand, a client would look at me and go, that's just weird. Why is he not on there? But it now isn't a discussion. Um, a client isn't going to go onto my social media when they're validating who I am and checking me out and go, oh, because he posted that. Man, that's the reason we are it. Quite the contrary. Um, that's not the reason I get hired by clients. But if I don't have a presence that's regularly updated in there, um, that would put me at a huge disadvantage. It's the old-fashioned shop front. Mm. It, it's, it's, you know, when we used to go to the shops, how mm. do you buy something in a shop if there's no shop? Mm. So it's become kind of the online it shop kind of front. Is, in the yeah. digital world, it has. There's a late great essayist and novelist, a guy called David Foster Wallace, and he, in this commencement speech he was giving in 2005, he tells this little story. Uh, And and it goes like this. So there are these two young fish and they're just swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish who's swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And these two young fish sort of look at each other and swim on for a bit and they're a bit confused. And eventually one of them looks over at the other one and says, what the hell is water? And his point is that most of us sort of wander through our lives a bit dead-eyed and unwoke Mm. really to the reality that is we're in this day-to-day mm. vortex of social media and of thinking we're making choices but actually we're swimming along in a current and really unaware of a broader environment and that we can bring it back to conscious choices like you've done and have some autonomy around the way we conduct ourselves mm. in a hurtling world. Mm. And I wonder if obviously we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic and a lot of people have had that necessary contraction of their lives and reset mm. and a recalibration of what does actually matter and Mm. what choices am I making? For you, it sounds like you do that anyway. (laughs) Has this this period that we've lived through forced somewhat of a reset on your life generally? Yeah. Yeah. So there's one area that I certainly have come to realise. Like, again, we talked about the, the travel. I mean, my travel... Is is in the is in the single digit percentile of Australians, even within uh, the the airline network that I fly. It's ridiculously stupid. The first month after pandemic hit, and I'd flown back in from the states when it was getting really crazy. I had this real um, withdrawal from travel. Um, it's a comfort space. I since I was a little child, um, I I went to boarding school from the age of six. Um, I used to fly halfway around the world, end of term, uh, half term, and uh, I've always been on a plane. So it's my it's my happy space. I love it. I've realised what real sleep is. So, and I'm not even kidding. Like I've come uh, come to a realisation that you can get into a really easy sleep pattern without without prescription medication is a, is a first thing. The second bit is um, that I have this. Un- phenomenal amount of energy that I never had and also then I've realized that I actually really like being at home with my little family and what I originally thought was going to be a problem was me not waiting to be able to get on international flights I've now realized I am going to hurt when that 
because it will start. Here's, here's the truth. We are going to eventually swing back to how it was. We will. In the majority. So right? you've unlearned. Yeah. And now you, at and, some point And my in the test future, was last revert. week. I keep coming back to this I went to Brown Brothers thing. But last week, that was the first time I've stayed in a hotel since February. And I did not enjoy it in the slightest. I missed home. I was only in Victoria. Um, I then went up to visit a friend up in Albury, Wodonga, and I stayed up there for the night. So I had two nights away and I hated it and I couldn't wait to get back home. And I was only just up the road, not in New York or not in Amsterdam doing my gigs. I was just up the road. Mm. Okay, so the, the psych in me has to speak up now <laughs> because... You sound like you're saying when the world reverts back to how mm. you knew it to be for you anyway, that you have to get on board, uh, literally get on board <laughs> the flight, the next <laughs> flight. Yeah. What other choices have you got? At this moment in time, I haven't worked out what those choices are. I have to rely and have faith, just like I rely and have faith that humanity always fixes. I will find a solution and a happy medium through the negotiation, not only with myself, but then with my family, wife, um, and I will reprioritize because life is all about that, right? Life's about my priorities five years ago were different to what my priorities are today. And I, again, like I said, I have faith in humanity. I have to realize, you know what? Just let, let it play out. It will find a way of naturally getting there. Part of that through conversations I have like this. Part of that is through uh, things that I do with other people as well. The more I verbalise it, the more I chat about it. Yeah, uh, and we're always in a state of flux anyway. Absolutely. We're always evolving and iterating and adjusting in any in, in this room. Today we're all adjusting to each other, our the world, new dynamic. Our world is VUCA. It's volatile, unco- yeah. un- uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Always the, has been. And it always will be. Let's go into what you actually do. So yeah. you are, we were having a conversation good, before good we went on air about um, the fact that you're a futurist. So we know you spend your life, well, prior to COVID, on a yeah. lot of aeroplanes, connecting with businesses, individuals yeah. across multiple industries around the world, talking about our hyper-connected digital world mm-hmm. and where are we at and where are we going. So part of that, I understand, involves you analysing emerging trends and yeah. joining the dots yeah. around patterns so that we can somewhat look into that crystal ball. Mm. Our little riff before we went on air was how does one become a futurist? That's probably the most common question I get asked. Um, So if I rewind back and look at all the jobs I've always done, I've always been anchored very deeply in the technology space. My first job um, that I ever did um, was was uh, in a in a technology um, art, looking after the technology arm of a very large manufacturing company in the UK. Then I went to work for the emergency services, doing the same thing, so the equivalent of the triple O uh, over in the UK. And I was always put into spaces in the business where it was so new, nobody knew what was going on, and nobody knew how to make sense of it. The reason for that was because. I wasn't a pure tech person. They needed somebody to translate what the real set world stuff meant for this technology stuff and somebody to be like the interpreter in the middle. I was never a programmer or a developer or a coder. I didn't identify with that. So I always ended up in these emerging space that somebody went, we've got no idea what the hell this is. Can you go and make sense of it and translate it and make it relevant for our business? Back in that day, that meant... They didn't really know what the job title was for it. They didn't really know what it was that I did, but they knew they needed it. And I remember one of my bosses, Stuart, once said to me, 
you're like a poodle. You're really expensive. Um, you're pretty to look at. Um, we know <laughs> we need you, but we don't know why we've got you. Given where jobs have been then in the yeah. last 20 years, so would you have been the early customer experience or user experience designer or the design thinker where you can take sort of those insights and then kind bring them of. back into was, the product? It was a hybrid project manager, program manager, delivery analyst, um, all of those things rolled into one. And it really is the what we have today, the equivalent is when we turn around and say, you, actually, you're a generalist. It was the pure generalist tech business role. Back then, it was a bit of a dirty thing to be that. Now, we're actually turning around and going, actually, you need to have a broader set of skills and not really specialized. And man, I, I, I wish people had seen that back then because it was one of the hardest spaces to be in um, back then because people were very easy to be quite anti-tech and it was seen as an expensive, unnecessary thing to do. Now we obviously know quite differently. Well, also organisational structure has absolutely transformed in that time whereby it used to be business units with very distinct roles and specialisations and now we see, as you say, this transferable Mm. um, multiple people working together and that expansion and contraction of project teams um, across business functions. So I think, I mean, obviously we've all lived through a pretty remarkable um, seismic kind of shift in the way organisations behave and then also job specialisations. And I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on. To think, to then say, how did I get into futurism? It was because of being in those spaces. And then that just got bigger and bigger through my career. And then I ended up working for one of the biggest food companies in the world. And they turned around quite literally and said, we know we need to do something in this big global tech space. We've got no idea what can you come and do it. So I was always looking at future trends, always looking at future tech and making sense of it. That then translated into I was frequently asked to speak about it on stage and then over the years that, that just morphed into it to what I do now. How do you, where do you get your insights then mm. when we think about um, it sounds like you can range across sort of strategies mm-hmm. through to ops to, yeah. you know, you're drawing from a number of different areas. Mm. Where do you go to get your sources for then being able to pitch forward into the future? This is a really good question. I actually think this is then where I come close into the Sabina weird space where people (laughs) treat me in business world as this counsellor, psychologist type person. They tell me, and what I mean by that is they tell me stuff they don't tell anyone else. So I can sit with the CEO and tech director of the biggest technology company in this part of the world and they will just regurgitate stuff to me that is normally so highly confidential. And I get that whether I'm with a bank or a technology company or a manufacturing business or a winemaking company, they will sit there and want to tell me what they're doing. What I then do, this is one part of how I do it. What I then do is look for the common threads and the patterns across the different industries and go, there's what's happening. There is the, the commonality. And then I go and start working, looking with trend uh, researchers and insight people to get me data then on what's coming around. How the do you know how far, how far forward to cast? How far are you willing to go? Uh, that's a, a, an intentional decision. I turn around and go, I'm looking at five years. Typically, I look at that three to five year space. Because here's the thing, I can turn around and look at 100 years, what does that matter for us in here? Businesses, leaders, business owners want to know what's going to happen in the next few years because that's what really matters. The other stuff is nice to know. Would you say, Chris, because you're drawing some parallels between my work and your work, and and (laughs) I do relate to a lot of what you just Mm. said there, not just on the personal front, but I also work with corporates and Mm. and do keynotes and speaking and people share really personal and in-depth content from a professional and personal um, perspective. Mm. It sounds like you were just summing up in, through my lens anyway <laughs> that future behaviour 
is largely pace, uh, based on past behaviour because you're looking for threads and patterns. I'm looking for threads <sighs> and patterns. It depends which industry you're in. I, soon, I knew I, I had a sneaking suspicion that's what you were going to say because I remember seeing, and I see it quite regularly within the banks, the Macquarie's, the ANZs and so on, they always have this disclaimer which say future performance is not related. You cannot predict future performance on your stocks and shares based on past performance. It is a really bad indicator. And I always laugh uh, on that because with when it comes to behaviour and humanity, we, to a degree can um and i think that there is some some parallels that mm. we can take out there you have to be very careful because it's easy to fall into a, oh we've done this a hundred years ago so we're going to do exactly the same and clearly there is there is some delineation that needs to take place there but um absolutely and of patterns course, play out yeah they're pat- all around patterns us. play out but we can change because yeah. if we couldn't change what's we'd the all be point? a mess yeah, exactly exactly and we all should yeah. none of us would be in that's business that's another topic actually yeah. none of us well, would it be. doesn't take much for us to revert back to primitive dictates when we're under pressure but we have we have generally like humans are more peaceful and we are less at war with one another. Mm. If you look at Yuval Noah Harari or people who do look at patterns over time or Jared Diamond's mm-hmm. Guns, Germs and Steel, we know humans do repeat things across the ages, but we are getting better at not killing each other. Um, in some ways. In some ways. In some but ways it's been not. a weird, obviously the last few months have been unprecedented, you know, on all sorts of levels. Given what where we're at with COVID, we've got a complete black swan economy, we are living through a period of time that is incredibly VUCA, to use your word, volatile. How many futurists thought this was sitting ahead of us in some way or form, that we would enter a moment of true dystopia and complexity that we hadn't been through in recent decades? Hindsight's always such a good tool, isn't it? And and the amount of people, futurists and non-futurists, I see that say... Yeah, we saw this coming. Oh, I think Bill Gates did, right? Yeah. Um, You've heard the meme or the gag, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. I haven't. No, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm shamelessly You're going to take that? that? I totally am. Okay, well, I'll just send me the clip. Send me the clip. It's not hers, though, <laughs> so you don't need to I, I made it up. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, but his, yeah, look, hindsight's a great tool. Hindsight is absolutely so 2020. Um, <laughs> so many people are saying that they did see this coming. I think the reality is we didn't, and not in the form that it's in now. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's certainly one of the, the things that's quarters off guard and um, we will learn stuff by this there is no doubt and i did say earlier we'll swing back and we will but there are things that we will learn i think coming back funnily enough to one of the things i started with which was i think one of the things we'll take away from this is an appreciation for technology and how it can and use the word can carefully um create more intimacy for us because let's rewind again 10 years just 10 years i'm not asking you to go back any further than that 10 years Imagine if we'd have had COVID-19 10 years ago, what the hell would we have done without the tech that we have today? It would business have been would have hell. actually stopped. Completely. Yeah. And not, screw business. Just uh, on a personal level, the things that we take for granted, FaceTime, video calling, Skype, whatever it is that your um, choice de jour is of a tech platform – We've all just taken that for granted that it's here and our MBN and our infrastructure supports it. There is a lot that goes into that. And just 10 years ago, that didn't exist. And I think coming out of this, we'll have an appreciation a little bit more that technology can do some awesome stuff for us. 
aside to the headline grabbing bad taking over the world stuff. Yeah. So certainly if we look at education, for example, which mm. has undergone an absolute renaissance, like Completely. during COVID and, and FutureAmp, one of the companies I work in, we do EdTech. And so for us it's been an extraordinary time where we can't keep up with demand for solutions to providing digital resourcing, um, mainly for the high school sector we work with. Um, and what we know is that for a long time education wasn't integrating technology in ways that could actually benefit differentiated teaching and learning, mm. remote, you can bridge that tyranny of distance that um, is a really great barrier for access you know, for a lot of people. And I think my what I'm wondering is when we do snap back to whatever status quo looks like on the other side of the curve, how much will we keep deliberately and how much will we just revert back to what we were doing before because it feels normal? Mm. That's for education and business. Well, familiar. I, I think many, many people are paid an awful lot of money and and look at this space um and especially we'll spend a lot of time trying to wonder exactly about that question you've asked there but i think yeah i think one of the things we will certainly appreciate more is is the intimacy of human connection um technology will never replace that despite and in spite of all of the cool stuff i just mentioned don't misunderstand me to being this i think tech's just gonna be amazing and replace all of the stuff that we don't need to travel and we don't need to go to a meeting to meet each other i think we'll appreciate that even more i think technology is the glue that helps stick them together between when we're not physically there and my point here being that I've noticed that instead of even like today, I've got meetings later on, which normally would have just been a phone call, and now we're doing them by video. Why? Because we can, and because it feels a little bit more intimate. Does that mean that'll be forever how we do that? No, because we'll like the physical physicality, but I think the bits that we'll use in between will will reshape how we do things. Yeah, and I'm... I agree. And I think maybe one of the great ironies of this period where we have relied on technology to connect mm. with each other you know, as humans or do business is that we've actually had windows into each other's lives in a way that we hadn't before. So business has had to humanise by yeah. people doing their meetings from their lounge rooms mm. or having their kids running around in the background mm. or their dogs on their laps. And so we've actually busted open this great charade that was there for a long time in business where we'd put on suits and travel to offices in a city and you'd just step into line. Mm. Um, there has been a really a real paradigm shift in the way people show up yeah. um, and we I hope that remains. I agree. I'm with you on that one. We know creativity is important to you, Chris. What does mm. it mean to you? Wow, what a good question. Um, what does creativity mean? For, for me, I love the art of storytelling. That That for me is my big one. I think... We learn through storytelling, as, as, as I was telling you earlier, um, before I left home to come here and meet you, both of you, I had my little girl on my lap and I was reading her the story about the big brown bear um, as I was finishing my breakfast. And um, she loves it. Like, she goes wild for books. She's got so many books. Um, and it's one of the first words she learnt was book. And she loves being sat on the lap, be it before bedtime, and told a story. And we all did. And as children, we love storytelling. As parents, we love telling stories to our children. And that doesn't change growing up. The only thing that changes is how we tell the stories. We don't sit on somebody's lap uh, in the majority. Depends where you work. Let's leave that Although one. Although Sabina's on my lap now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, it's just the way that we tell them is different. The, how we do it. It's a stage with lights and all that kind of stuff. And storytelling is a is it's an art and it's 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 good storytelling is actually really hard to do um how do you 
construct your stories then in a way that you know is going to resonate with your audiences? It's a bit like what I did earlier when I gave you my example of the app on my phone. I make it something that's relatable. And you can, I can watch your eyes. The moment you start dropping in something that's relatable that we get and you start connecting it with different things, people just change. They shift, their shoulders drop, and you can just see this warmth that goes over them. So we all tell stories in different parts <clears throat> of our day. Um, um, going on stage is just a more articulated and a more considered version because you know you've only got 45 minutes and you've got to shape it around a whole bunch of different topics. Um, but the principles are still the same. And how do you, you relate it? You make it relatable. You make it um, so that it's, it's, it's fun, it's interesting, and it's, and above all, entertaining. And I think if you entertain people... Um, you can help you can help them get into a, a space of learning really really quickly and and they will walk away f remembering you and remembering that event in a, in a way you never thought possible do stories need a tension or friction point that is then resolved at the end if we think about the hero's mm, journey question. or slaying dragons do, do you think you need to build in that moment of fear or friction? No, not always, no, because I think about some of my stories that I've got. Some of them are just very nostalgic. They're a, a, a happy moment that I know that you will have, 80% of the people in the room will have had in their own different way, but I'll seed in different ways that, that, that I know that you've probably had that. And when you take people back, you have those rose tinted spectacles that those were the good times those were the fun times and you what I do is play with people's you remember that was fearful and talk back and then make it make it into a fun ridiculous thing and when you start pulling those things together that, that's another way of telling a story you're also talking about not wanting to be so curated with the social media mm. and to mm. be more authentic have you got any ideas how you might integrate that into the, the storytelling moving forward? Because you're wanting yeah, to make some good, changes. What a good question. Look, I think here's the thing I've always struggled with with social media. I've always I, I'm a I'm a very private person. Um, I don't, in fact, do many of these type of things, and I only do it because I had a rapport and a relationship um, with you. I don't. I don't let people into my private life uh, very much at all. And I feel social media is that thing where people do just unwittingly and, and without fear or reason let people into so many parts of their lives. And I, maybe it's because I'm from a generation which doesn't really get that. But then I'm not that old. I'm only in my late 30s. Um, there's plenty of people in my age that are quite happy with that. So how do I, how do I use the storytelling? I think... That's a, that's that's always been a real challenge because I don't want to use social media to to open up uh, a, a, ca a door into my my private life. I don't think that's what it's there. Do you for. know where your private life starts and ends, and where your work starts and ends in terms of your 100%. own identity? Absolutely. I've yes, heard. you're very clear I'm with that. Very, very. And we've talked about this before. Yeah, right? and I'm wondering. Actually, I'm not thinking about social media. I'm thinking about on stage mm. because you're talking about the power of storytelling. Mm. But part of that is not the perfectly mm. curated into stage left. Mm. You know, the rising arc, the fall, the big stage, the lights, the shot. Mm. That that's the entertaining part. But there's also a part of who you are and what brings you to the stage. And I mean that mm. as that's a metaphor for all of us. Absolutely. Who am I and what brings me to the stage? And if it's too glossy or too... Mm. Manicured. Yeah, manicured. Mm. Um, it becomes artificial. You lose people. Yeah. 
And you're talking with such passion about yeah. connecting and you're talking with such detail mm. about seeing when their eyes connect, when their mm. shoulders drop. And if and, and it's my experience, my observation, mm. that the way we do that is also through, and these are really overcooked words, but mm. vulnerability and authenticity and a raw, a rawness, which is hard for all of us to show. I agree. And I think that you can be vulnerable and but I think you have to be I my view, and this is only my view, you have to be very intentional around who you do that with. Yeah. I cannot be vulnerable with a room of 8,000 people. I, not, not in a way for me that feels authentic. Um, well, not in a one-to-many. No. Oh, well, you can still be authentically you, though. Absolutely. Um, I but am. I suppose you're there to do a job and, and give Absolutely. some messages out to that Absolutely. audience. And, and f- yeah, I have to also understand what my role is yeah. with that audience. And yeah. I'm very clear in knowing that from a client perspective, what they expect from me. Um, for me, that's I've got to inform that audience of the trends and insights that are going on. I've got to educate them and I've got to inspire them. Those three things, the things I always go out there and go, as long as I do, inform, educate, inspire, bang. Part of what makes me strive to push the very limits of what I can do and what I can create and what I can make is this, in, just this intense want to be able to get for perfection i know perfection is impossible there is no such thing as being perfect but i won't rest until i can get as damn well close as i can for that and for me perfection is getting an audience to to lift the roof off for me perfection is getting every single person in that room and for me to get i know i've hit a, a 10 out of 10 i believe if i didn't always strive for that whilst i know i'll never hit that that I would just be average. And man, there is nothing I hate on this earth more than just being average. Well, you're clearly not because of everything that you have remarkably achieved. I suppose the trick is then how do you keep using, harnessing that thing to drive you Mm. but not destroy you? Here is the million-dollar question. Mm. Um, Honestly, I have this conversation with Laura. Laura's my wife. um, And she says to me the challenge she has is she her watching as I go and and strive and push for this stuff but not wanting it to mean that I fall off a cliff and she said the area where she sees me being the happiest and it works well is when I sail right along the edge of that Mm. and she said that fun she said she has this 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 real dilemma because she loves me for being that person and she knows that that's the person that she fell in love with and if she stopped me doing that I would then not be the person that she loved or that is happy and she said and she has this real this real tug of war within herself and and you do too yeah absolutely and that that is a story that you hear from so many creatives people mm. who are pushing to the and edge I'm sweating of here themselves having this and the edge of their potential and all the great works of humanity have been when people are out of their comfort zone um, and so there and is this playing with I hate living in that yeah. it's exhausting it's yeah. exhilarating it's 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 the most legal high you will ever get on planet earth mm. chris let's go full circle mm. what would you like your insta descriptor to look like now do you know i'll i'll, I'll, I'll give you credit sabita you always make me think about <laughs> stuff um I don't. I'm, I, I, there's a part of me that wants to have an answer now, um, and I'm I'm just verbalizing what's going on in my brain. Um, I don't have an answer. Um, 
I don't know. So what do I always do when I get to these spaces where I don't know? I, I go and talk to people and I go and ask them. That doesn't mean that anybody else has got the answer, but it means I just socialize and, and, and get it out there. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah. And that's what I'll do in the next few weeks. And yeah. um, I've, I'm a passionate believer and this is, this is, yeah, this is a good way to contextualize things. I'm, I'm a really passionate believer. Be very careful who you choose to spend your time with the three four five people around you because you are the average of those people and i'm very very careful of who i spend my time with and i've I've got very a very good um bunch of people around me friends and family and i know that somewhere in there is the answer and Mm. i'll find it and And i love that as a response because actually there is no answer and i'm trying to you know i'm i'm sort of artificially trying to distill something from Mm. you that I know. So I think that's just, I'm not going to say a perfect answer because that's going Mm. to (laughs) play to to your perfectionism, (laughs) but um, a really honest, a really honest answer. Mm. And my hope for you, Chris, is that in this Insta description, it perhaps won't say um, never sleeping, forever flying, Mm. but always searching. Yes, bravo. I think that's how you probably came into the world and how you'll leave the world. So it's not about you know, reducing ourselves to someone who we're not. But I guess we've heard from you some of these some of these descriptors don't hang well on you and others do. And you're exploring like every one of us. Like and every like one of done. us. And yeah. we always will do. Correct. And if we stop searching, well we're not growing and discovering Absolutely. and creating and all of those things that are obviously keeping you well and truly alive and thriving. We always finish this podcast by asking a question of yeah. our guest and that is who do you think is doing human really well? Wow. Not a question I've ever been asked. Who do I think in the world? There is the answer in itself, isn't it, really? And if I had to choose anyone that was doing human better than anyone else... And it's no, it's once it's somebody that none of you know. It'd be my wife. Yeah, she's the person that brings me back to earth. She's the person that makes all of this stuff I've told you about okay. In the sense that I can be crazy. I can go very close to the edge of that cliff. I can go and do stuff that is is bananas, and some will work and some won't. Because I know that when I go back home, she makes it all real and. Whatever happens, yeah, that for me, she's the person that, she's the reason that all of this technology stuff doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, yes, that's who I would choose. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com.